It's been a joy to be um, John and Sandy Yeager's pastor for a multitude of reasons. First of all, they moved all the way from Michigan down to the promised land known as Alabama. Amen. Right, Sandy? I mean, much rather to endure the winter here than up there. But anyway, it's been a joy to be John and Sandy's pastor for the last many years. And, and part of the blessing of that is getting to meet their family. And one of their family members, their son, Chris Yeager, he was a pastor up in Michigan for the last 10 years at a church. God uh, blessed greatly in the ministry there at Cornerstone. Um, and uh, God used him there. But uh, here several months ago, maybe up to a year ago, he'll tell you the story better than I can. But the Lord just was moving in his heart to get involved in missions. And so he shared with me several months ago the vision that he has of what God is calling him to do here in, here in the United States of America. And in case you haven't realized it yet, uh, the mission field isn't just over across the seas, it's right here. And we need good Bible-believing, gospel-preaching churches here in America. And so Chris Yeager, uh, I'm so thankful for his ministry, thankful for the opportunity to get to know him over this last year. And he's going to come and preach the word this morning primarily, maybe share a little bit of a snippet of what God's laying on his heart to do. But then tonight, you got to be back tonight at 6. That's when he's going to share more in depth kind of the vision of what God has called him to and of what we potentially have the opportunity to partner in. So Brother Chris, you come and share what God's laid on your heart. Thank you, Pastor. Appreciate it. I appreciate the opportunity to be with you all this morning, or y'all, um, if, I, if I say it properly. It's you guys um, when you're in Northeast, uh, y'all down here, you guys up north uh, in Michigan. So uh, whatever part you're from, you can take it. Um, would take whatever way you say it, but it is great to be with you this morning. Uh, thank you, Pastor, for allowing us to have pulpit time, because I know that uh, Sunday mornings, especially the first of the year, that's prime, that's prime real estate right there. Um, and I, I realize that this is an important Sunday um, as you begin to launch your new year, and so I don't take this lightly to be able to share what God has placed upon my heart. Um, and this morning, I want to primarily preach to you, um, uh, or preach with you. I hate when I, I realize this, when, when a preacher says he's preaching to you, it's because God's already preached to him. And um, I've had my, st my toes stepped all over or encouraged, and um, hopefully it'll be an encouragement to you. Uh, but I appreciate the opportunity to be here. Thank you so much. We have had our fifth wheel parked in your um, uh, prime lot back there. I'll tell you what, it is beautiful. We've seen probably up to five or six deer back there, uh, the different mornings. And so it is like being out in God's country uh, and uh, right, right behind a church. And so thank you for sharing with us and allowing us to do that as we've gotten started on this. I want to say one real quick thing about it just to hopefully encourage you to be back tonight um, and make you realize how important replanting America is. Um, a statistics I'll share with you more uh, specifically tonight or in more in detail, but let me say it this way. We look at, especially being down here in the Bible Belt in the South, we look at Pastor Chris, there's, or Pastor McLaughlin, there's churches all over the place. The mission field is more important. Well, can I tell you, when you step out of Alabama... Tennessee, the Bible Belt, and you begin to move to the northwest, northeast, southwest, you move out of what is the Bible Belt. And let me, let me give you a, st a staggering statistic. 
out of 355 million Americans, 200 million Americans are not churched. That doesn't mean that they don't go to church. That means that they have no church affiliation whatsoever. God's not on their mind. God's not in their heart. God's not in their desires. It's, it, is, it is not something that they even consider. There's 100 million Americans that, uh, on top of that, are roughly on top of that, that are called de-churched Christians or de-churched Americans, meaning that they've had some shape or form of church but are no longer affiliated and no longer want to be affiliated with it. So you're talking that out of 355 million Americans, we are in a place where 55 million Americans are in church, 300 of them are not. Soak that in. Any other place that's an unreached people group, we would rush missionaries to that area. But in America, we're thinking, we're good. It's America. We're okay. And let me remind you, let me tell you what, if home's not secure, neither is the uttermost going to be. And so we need to begin to rethink what it is to take care of America and to make sure that Jerusalem is, is ready to go. But that's for tonight. I just want to wet your whistle a little bit about what God has called us to do in replanting America. And um, you say, what can one person do? Well, you come back tonight, and I'll show you what one man can do. Think about it. God turned the world upside down with 12. He, he changed the West through one man, who we know of as the Apostle Paul. I think he can, he, he can use any willing vessel uh, that is willing to be a part of it. And I hope that uh, you'll see that. But this morning, I want to encourage you. And, you know, there's a lot of times as you uh, begin to prepare for a message, you don't know what God's doing, but I'm so glad the Holy Spirit does. Um, what a great song. I couldn't have asked for a better introductory song to the message that I want to preach to you this morning. If you've got uh, your Bible, take it to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Philippians is probably, uh, ministerially, my favorite book of the Bible uh, for a, as a pastor. And um, if I have a favorite book of the Bible uh, of my own, it's the book of Colossians. Um, if I have a book that I love to study out of, it's the book of Romans. But if there's a book that I think ministerially is just the most encouraging book of the Bible that I can go to and find uh, what I need for my soul, for my spirit, uh, it's the book of Philippians. It's a book of joy. Uh, it's a book of help. It's, a, it's an encouraging book. And it's a book that I go to often in my ministry and have used often in my ministry as I've, I've been able to pastor. Um, and uh, I refer to it often. And this morning, I want to I preach to a message that God had laid upon my heart. And um, I preached a portion of this or some of it or the principles of it years ago at Cornerstone. And as the Lord began to lay it upon my heart this week, um, we uh, refreshed it, transitioned it. Hopefully it would be an encouragement and a help to you. But I want to preach to you a message that is entitled, "Not God is not done with you or not done with you. And you know, God's not done with you. You know, the beginning, the new year is a, is a time of hope. Because it's a hope for a fresh start. It's a hope for a new beginning. It's a hope that all of this, this, this year can be better than last year. And all the trials and the problems for somehow just because it changes from December 31st to January 1st, all of a sudden everything is done, it's fresh, it's new, everything's okay. And what we realized once we hit January 2nd, 
is 2020 is a lot like 2019, which is a lot like 2018, which is a lot like 2017, right? Just because you flip a calendar day or a number on the end does not take away a lot of the things that the stark reality of what we deal with. Life is still life. Problems are still problems. Situations are still, still situations. What you, have to de- what you have had to deal with last year, you're still probably going to have to deal with this year. And there's a many times we get to that point in the situation, in the problem, that we realize, man, I wonder if God is done with me. When I look at the problems that I, in my life, when maybe you begin to look at the problems in your life and your family and, and church and, and life and work in general, you begin to look at it and go, man, if God, if God was still, still going to use me, would he, would he be putting me through all of these different circumstances and problems? Why, why is all of these things happening? And there's a lot of times we get overwhelmed and discouraged by the situations, the struggles, the difficulties, basically life. We get overwhelmed by it. And we just think many times we've thrown up our hands. Listen, I've done it. I, in ministry, I've, there's, I can't tell you how many Mondays I've, wrote, I've, I've resigned until my resignation. <laughs> um, I, I can't tell you. And I'm sure if you've, uh, in, in certain areas, you just have said this, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done putting up with it. I'm done trying. I'm done. Or maybe we've thought, God's done. You know what? God's done with me. He's just, you know, I'm just, I'll just go through the motions. I'm just doing what I'm supposed to do. God's, God's really done doing anything great through me. And I want to encourage you this morning from one of my favorite verses of Scripture. Philippians chapter 1 and verse number 6. And then I want you to flip over to Philippians 2 and verse number 13. Look at this verse. Paul says this. In verse number six of Philippians, when he says, being confident, persuaded, no doubt, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it. That word is not just a continual doing of it. It also has the idea of completion. He'll finish it. So it's not just a, God's going to perform it and maybe it's going to get done. No, it's, it, God is saying in this verse, he's saying, uh, he, he which hath begun a good work and you will complete it. He'll perform it, he will finish it. He's going to do it until it is completed. That's encouraging. He'll perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. And let me flip over to Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 13. Listen to this verse. It says, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do you know God's working in you? He's working his good pleasure in you. He's not done. Let's pray, and then we're going to dive in. Father, we need you this morning. God, I pray that this message this morning would be an encouragement Lord, to help us to realize at the beginning of this new year, God, that you're not done. Lord, even though that we've come to a few days into this new year, then we've realized that, that 2020 carries a lot of the same struggles that 2019 carried. Fathers, dealing with many of the same difficulties and struggles and situations and frustrations, Lord, even though there's hope and even though there's plans for a new year and a new us. Father, I pray that 
Lord, that we wouldn't get discouraged and overwhelmed and give up. But Lord, that we'd realize the truth of your word that he that hath begun a good work in us will perform it. God, you will complete it. You will do it. Father, because it's you that's working. It's you that's doing. It's you that is accomplishing what you need to accomplish in us. And so, Father, I pray that you administer to Fairview Baptist Church this morning. God, I don't know where each and every individual is. Pastor hasn't given me a rundown of, of himself or anything else, but, Father, your Holy Spirit knows exactly what each individual needs. And, God, I pray that you'd encourage them in the Lord this morning. Father, thank you for grace. Thank you for the opportunity to be able to minister to these people. Father, I thank you for how they've ministered to me and to my family and their graciousness over these last couple months. And, God, I pray that you'd bless them this morning. For it's in Jesus' name, amen. I want you to remember, I want you to think uh, uh, and remember this reality, this truth is that God makes determinations not based upon moments and days, but upon decades and lifetimes. What do I mean by that? Well, there's times that we go through a moment, or we're going through life, and as we're in a moment, as we're in this circumstance, this trial, this struggle, this situation, there's a lot of times that we begin to think that God only sees that. That God is, as we're in the midst of it and, and we're going through it, that God is so focused on that, that that's all he sees because that's all we see. But can I remind you of men like Abraham and David and Paul? See, all three of those men are major central figures of Scripture. David was known as the man after God's own heart. Abraham is known as the friend of God. Paul is known as really the apostle that was chosen specifically by Christ and called to do great things. But do you realize that when you begin to analyze, and you don't even have to look hard, but when you begin to look at each one of those men's lives, what was David? He was a murderer an adulterer, a liar. I mean, if there's anybody that we know the dirt about, it's David. Think about Abraham. Abraham, if you go back to before Genesis chapter 12, Abraham was an idolater. God called him away from his gods. Abraham was someone who was willing to hand over his wife multiple times, or at least a couple times, to somebody else, so he would protect himself. Really? Abraham, you're supposed to be the protector of your wife, not the wife being the protector of you. But he was known as the friend of God. The Apostle Paul, we know as his list in 1 Timothy, he was, a, he, he was a blasphemer, he was injurious, he was a persecutor. He did all these things. And you know what? When we think of David, we think of yeah, we, were, we know of Bathsheba and we know of Uriah, but when we think of David, we think of, you know what? He's the, the king of Israel. He's the one that loved God and wrote the Psalms and, and, that, and is the father that Jesus is, and the, who our Messiah and, and our Lord is going to sit on his throne. He is David. He is that great man. We think of Abraham as Father Abraham. When you first think of these men, you're not thinking of all their mistakes. You're thinking of what? 
their greatness. When God describes Abraham and David and Paul, he's not describing them by their mistakes. What is he describing them by? The results of what he made them to be. God does not deal in moments and days. God deals in decades and and lifetimes. Why? Because God is working in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do you realize that the trial that you're going through or, the th- or whatever you're, you've brought from 2019 into 2020, and you may even say, well, Pastor Chris, I was dealing with the same thing in 2018 and 27. You may have been, this may be something that is, God is working through you and, and, and you're struggling and going through these difficulties. Can I share with you? God has not dubbed you that. God has not determined you a failure because you've gone through these struggles over and over. No, you know what God sees? He sees what he's making you to be. I love the scripture that tells us that we are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Do you realize that God doesn't see me in my failed state? He sees me in my glorified state. Because he knows what he's making me to be. He knows what he wants me to be. And he knows what he's working in me. He is working. Yes, I have a responsibility to work out my salvation. As verse and and Philippians chapter 2 and verse uh, 12 says. But at the same time, it is God. As I'm working it out, it is God who is working it in. I think a lot of times we get so focused on the situation that we forget that this is what God has accomplished, and there's a bigger picture. Not just the problem, but what God is making us to be. I love the, the story throughout Scripture or the constant reference of the refiner's fire throughout Scripture. Uh, Proverbs chapter 17, verse 3 says, The fining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord trieth the hearts. We know 1 Peter 1.7, it says that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found under the praise and the honor and the glory at the appearing of Christ. It's in the times of trials that we don't look at it and go, wow, these are my favorite times. But do you realize it's in those times of trials that God is working the most in you? See, we think of mountaintops. Lord, I want the mountaintop experience. But something that I've learned in ministry, 24 years of pastoring, you know what I've learned? This truth. And I've kind of put it to an Old Testament statement. Adversity may slay its thousands, but prosperity, its tens of thousands. Do you know when I fail the most in my Christian life? Not in the valley but in the blessings. When do I forget God? When do I get confident? When do I begin to say, I can handle this, God, I don't need to pray? Is it in the trials? Is it in the valley? No, it's in those times that you realize, man, I can't do that. God, I need you. It's in the valley that you actually grab around uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the waist of God and say, I can't let you go. Not tell you bless me like Jacob did. I'm not going to leave you alone. God, I need you. It's in the valleys that we learn to trust in the Lord. It's in the mountaintops where it's like, ooh, this is all good. See, it's in the refiner's fire that we're, actually, it's in, that we're actually learning God the most. 
depending on God the most. It's in that fire, that trial, that, uh, that, uh, that time of difficulty that we're, we're drawing the closest to Him. It's the hardest, but I'll, I'll submit to you it's the best. There's been times in my ministry that I've looked back at, or I, well, let me say it this way, there's times in my ministry that while going through those times, I was done, I wanted to quit, I, was, I, I wanted to give up, I wanted nothing to do with the ministry. I remember there was one time I was really uh, about this close to calling my dad uh, when, he was, when they were in Indiana and saying, hey, can you get me a job at GM? I'm done. I'd rather sell pencils than do the ministry. But I'll tell you what, now that it's 19 years removed, I look back at that time, and I wouldn't trade that moment for any of the mountaintop experiences because it was in that moment that God changed me from knowing about him to knowing him. God showed himself in my life in such a strong way through that summer that I'll tell you what, that summer to me was a monumental transformation in my spiritual walk. What made me want to quit is what actually drew me closer to him. The refiner's fire is difficult. Those seasons of trials are hard. But let me tell you what, God's not done. What I love is the, the truth about the refiner's fire. We, uh, we feel that, you know, the, that in that refiner's fire it's difficult, but it's quite the, the difference. It's in those times of refining that he's making you the most useful. It's in the refining process that, uh, that, it, that the most desirous metals are made. Gold takes two, it, ta- it takes two, uh, let me say it this way, um, it, it has, you have to heat the refiner up to 2,000 degrees to get gold to its purest state. Lead even takes more to make silver. When you begin to look at the process, uh, the process of, of turning lead into silver is intense, very meticulous. I was reading... Uh, years ago when I preached this message to Cornerstone, I was reading of this, uh, this illustration and it was talking about a ladies' Bible study group uh, talking about years ago from that. A ladies' Bible study group and their study of Scripture, they came across this process of the refiner's fire and they asked the same question that many of us do. Why would God allow His children to go through the refiner's fire and just sit there and watch the process? Why would God do that? How is God good that he would put me through these intensive trials and just watch me go through it? So as this ladies' Bible study group was going through this, uh, one of the ladies went to a silversmith, and she asked him the question, how does this work? And here's the response of the silversmith. He said that, I must sit with my eyes steadily fixed on the furnace. For if the time necessary for refining be exceeded in the slightest degree, the silver is sure to be injured. The process of purifying was complete. How do I know that they, he said, how do I know that the process was complete? When I see my own image reflected in the silver. Isn't that impressive? See, when God, let me, let me make the application. When God is putting us through these trials, 
as you begin 2020, let me tell you what, and you begin to see the continual uh, struggles and the continual process of 2019, let me tell you what, God's not just sitting back there watching you, waiting for you to fail. No, God is sitting there watching you with a meticulous eye, knowing that a slightest degree off or a slightest degree this way, it's not, if it's slightest degree off this way, it's not going to make the purest silver. A slightest degree this way, it's going to burn the silver and ruin it. But let me tell you what, when it's perfected, so he's watching it perfectly and he knows what it takes. And what does he want? He wants a reflection of himself in you. That's what he's going for. He's conforming you to the image of Christ. And how does that happen? It happens through this process, which we many times look and say, man, my God must be done with me. Look at this problem, and look at this problem, and look at this situation that I'm going through. God has to be done. And let me tell you what, no, God's not done. God's working his perfect work so he can see himself in you. Let me encourage you, Christian, he's not done with you. That trial, that circumstance that he's allowing you to go through, it's not random. It's calculated. It's determined. Because it's going to bring Christ's image out in you. Can I share something from you, from Scripture? I am confident of this this morning. I'm confident that he's not done with you. He's not done with you. He's not done with your family. He's not done with the work, the ministry that he asked for. He's not done with your church. He's not done with your He's not done with you. He's working in you. Being confident of this very thing. Paul looked at the Philippian church and he said this, this, listen, church, I am confident of this thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it. He'll do it until the day of Jesus Christ. God's not going to quit. Why is it? Because he promised it. He promised. Do you realize that you, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are a child of God. You're his child. And let me ask each parent in here, which one of you would do whatever it took to destroy your child? You're saying, well, I wasn't expecting you to say that. No, none of us in here would look back, take, or, or be actively destroying our child. But how many of us parents have allowed some things in our children's life knowing that's exactly what they need because they have a character trait, they have a circumstance, they have something that they need this trial to help them in? See, you're a child of God, and God promised you that he'll never leave you nor forsake you, that he's not done with you, that he's adopted you. And let me tell you what, he is going to work that process in you until redemption. He's not done. Listen, John 17, Jesus says, I've lost no one except the son of perdition, which was, which was prophesied in Scripture. But any other time, he's saying, listen, I've lost none. You know what I've taken heart in throughout my ministry? Throughout my Christian life, not even my ministry, just my Christian life is. You know what? I'm not that special that God's going to be, I'm going to be the only one that God fails with. I'm not that special. I'm not going to be that one out of millions that God fails on. He's never failed. He's not going to fail with me. 
So I can't make myself more special than anybody else and say, well, listen, you know what? God's just going to fail with me. I'm that one he's going to fail on. Listen, if he didn't fail with Abraham, listen, if he didn't fail with Noah, if he didn't fail with Joshua or David or, or the children of Israel, if he hasn't failed throughout history, let me tell you, he's not going to fail without me. I'm a child of God. Let me tell you about this. Let me, let me bring it to your church. Let me say this. God's not going to fail your church. Do you realize you're the bride of Christ? And I'll tell you what. If I am, as a husband, going to do everything to take care of my wife, and I am feeble and human, how much greater is the Son of God who doesn't fail? How would he not want to take care of his bride? He's got your church. He's got you. He's got your family. Listen, you are a child of God. You are, your church is his bride. You are his child. He, is, he, he cannot, he will not, he'll never be done with you. What he began at salvation, he'll bring it to fruition. He'll bring it to glorification. Romans chapter 8 promised that. He won't give up. And let me say this. Even if you give up, he doesn't. Because he that began a good work in you, who will perform it? You or him? He'll perform it. You may quit. He doesn't. God never quits. God never lets you go. You're not going to fall out of his hand somehow. Listen, he has got you, and he's never going to let you go. I've had people ask me many times, Pastor Chris, hey, what if, some, I, I believe in eternal security, but what if somebody chooses to walk away? I, I, I respond with this question. They may walk away, but God never does. You may walk away from your commitment, but God doesn't ever walk away from his commitment. Listen, if one of my children decide, you know what, Dad, I'm divorcing from you, or I'm gonna, I want nothing to do with you, I'm going uh, I'm I'm to stop being your son, that may be their determination, but that's not mine. It doesn't change what they are. See, if I've, if I've put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I may walk away from him, but he that begun a good work in me will perform it. You may not keep yours, but he'll keep his. He'll keep his promise. Take heart in that this, this morning, church. As you look forward into 2020, and as you begin to, begin to look at the vision and the hope and the plans and all the things that you have for this new year, and you want to accomplish, but yet you see the baggage from the years before, how can God do? Maybe he's not going to do. Maybe it's just going to constantly be a repeat. Man, Lord, what if God is just done with you? Let me tell you what, he's not done. I know because I'm confident that he which begun a good work and you will perform it. I'm confident that he's not done because he has a purpose that he's working in you. What is that purpose? Look at the next verse in Philippians chapter 2. Um, we looked at verse 13. Uh, look at verse 
Uh, look at verse number 14 and 15. Verse 14 just goes in, do all things without murmurings and, di- and disputings. That's just a great verse for any, for any family, any church. But I want you to see what is God trying to do in us? In verse 15, it says this. It says, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Do you know what God wants you to be? He wants you to be blameless. He wants you to be perfect. He wants you to be that example of grace to a world that doesn't understand or comprehend grace. He wants you to see, he wants you to be that example. That means God's not gonna make and put a bubble around you and make sure that everything that a Christian goes through is perfection and wonderful. No, because that makes us spoiled brats, right? Have you ever tried to give your kid everything that they've ever wanted? What's the result? Thankfulness and gratitude? Uh-uh. It's demanding of more, isn't it? So if we're the children of God, and God just gives us everything and lavishes it upon us, how often are we going to be thankful and gracious and have gratitude? Probably not. Because we're flesh. Aren't we going to demand more and want more? And when God doesn't give us, what are we going to do? We're going to be that kid in Walmart, you know, crying and uh, making a scene and you're embarrassed. And so you walk, you go, you go to the other end of the store because you don't, uh, it, it, you're embarrassed for the parents. God's, God wants us to be an example of grace through the good times and the bad times, through the struggles, through the problems. He wants our lives to shine forth grace, Jesus Christ. He wants to be revealed in us. He wants to bring you to a place of maturity, an example as a shining testimony for his name's sake. That means he has to refine us. That means he has to take us through some problems. Listen, how many of you are in here are perfect and never make a mistake? I, I, this is my first time preaching before you guys, so maybe there's, maybe there's some folks in here that are, how many of you are perfect? You've never made a mistake. You are, you, you have arrived. You are it. Probably none of us, right? If we'd look at our own lives, we all battle what? Pride? Selfishness? Right? How many times do we battle that sin? Now, your struggle with sin may be different than my struggle with sin, but Hebrews chapter 12 says that there's a besetting sin that every one of us struggles with, right? Oh, no, we're not supposed to talk about that, Pastor. This is church. We're holy. We're perfect. We ne- no, all of us have a besetting sin. Something that Satan knows that if he pokes at, he's going to get us more often than not. How do we have victory over those things? How do we get victory over pride? How do we get victory over selfishness? How do we get victory over that besetting sin? Let me tell you what, it's God's refining. It's God's working in us. It's his polishing. It's his, it's his bringing us through that fire, purifying us through the different struggles of life. I love James chapter 1 and verse 3. It says, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. And let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Oh, pastor, don't preach on patience, because if you, te- if you preach on patience, then all of a sudden everything's just going to go to pots. All right? Have you ever said that? Don't preach on patience. Don't pray for patience. Do you know what? When have we become 
almost, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's uh, we've, we've become where we, uh, where we think, if we think something that something's going to happen, that we're going to bring that bad. There's a, there's a word for it. It's, um, help me out. Superstitious, thank you. It wasn't coming. It's, yeah, get it's, a, it's a mental block right there. Uh, we become superstitious that, oh no, if we talk about patience somehow that God's going to bring about and he's going to put us through all these other trials. Do you know God's going to work patience in you no matter what? The trying of your faith worketh what? Patience. Do you know what God's trying to build in you? Patience. Patience to be able to look up to him and say, God, I don't see what you're doing. I don't understand why you're doing this. I don't see the end from the beginning, but I know you do, and I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait and look to you, and I'm going to rest in you, and I'm going to trust in you, and I'm going to yield myself to you because I don't see it. I don't understand it. I'm frustrated. I'm overwhelmed. God, I'm, I'm discouraged. I'm burdened, but you've got something. God, you want me to wait on you because you see what I don't see. You know what I don't know. And I need you. The trying of your faith worketh patience. Why? Because when we see God working over and over, do you know what we begin to see? God is faithful, and he's just, and he's good. How do we know those things? Because we see him working. We see his past actions in us. 1 Peter 4.12 says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. God, thank you for the refiner's fire. Thank you for the trials and the struggles Lord, I want to, instead of being angry at them and being defeated by them, I want to rejoice in them. You know what I found the most difficult thing is to do? Is, com- is, to, is, to, com- is to complete one of the easiest commands. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. I can be thankful for the good things. But it doesn't say, in the good things, give thanks. Do you know what it says? In everything. In everything give thanks because this is the will of God. Have exceeding joy, 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 12 and 13. Rejoice in that. Yield yourself. God has a potential. God has something that he's working in you. Yield yourself to him. Not, don't just yield yourself. Can I encourage you this year to not just yield yourself to the work of God? That's passive. Yielding is a passive agency where you're just like, okay, God, work in me. I'm going to allow you. Yes, that's step one. But you know what step two in your Christian life is? To move from a yielding to an asking. God, refine me. God, work in me. God, purge me. God, cleanse me. Not just, God, I'm going to allow you to do what you want to do because you're God and I am not. Don't just yield yourselves as ministers as for, his, for him to work in you, but actively ask him, Lord, you know me. You know what I need. 
God, will you work that in me? 2 Samuel in chapter 24, David is at the end of his ministry. And if you read the different passages, one, God, one David was moved, one day, and, one, and one passage David out of his pride moves. And so however, however you want to look at it, nonetheless, David was moved to number the people in a way of pride. And because of that, God was going to bring about a trial in David's life or in David's uh, king, in, in the kingdom of Israel. And, David, and God gave David three choices. And one of the choices was God, for God to, uh, God issued pestilence. Others were, were for the, a nation to come and, and, and do this, and, and uh, they were outward. One was a, two, two of the choices were, um, were outward, were man-centered. One of the choices was a God work. You know what David's response was? I'd rather fall into the hands of God because he's merciful and he's gracious and he's kind instead of falling into the hands of man. You know what that tells me? That even in judgment, even when I mess up, even when I deserve what I'm getting, if I put myself in the hands of God, He's not going to destroy me. He's going to build me. Can I encourage you, Christian, this new year, don't just yield yourself to God as a passive working. God, work in me. God, I want you to do what's best in my life. And that may be trials and struggles and difficulties because you want to refine me so that your face can be seen in me. See, a lot of times we start looking at man's objectives, man's determination of success. Success in your life is not how much, how easy your life is and how much you have. Success in your life is how much does Christ have of you? How much can Christ be seen in you? Would you allow the Lord to work in you? Listen, he's not done. He's not given up on you. There's not a person in this room that is beyond his grace. There's not a person in this room that God doesn't want to work through or is not working through because God is not determining your, uh, your definition of you based upon the struggles that you're going through now. No, he's working those struggles to bring you to what he desires you to be and has determined you to be. Yield yourself to him and then ask him to do that perfect work in you. Would you allow him? tell you it's not always fun it's not always the easiest route but it's it will ultimately what bring you to success it's what ultimately brings you to that place where you really want to be christ in you the hope of glory right let him work in you this year let him transform your life not just in blessings but even in the trials. Let's pray.